Hello, hello, and welcome to CBET's podcast, episode 43, Living Holy. Now, if you've been joining us for the past couple of weeks, you would know that we started this new series talking about the foreigner lifestyle. And we've had praying weekly, we've had No, actually praying daily, sorry, fasting weekly. It's better that way than the other way. We don't want to fast daily and pray weekly. Um, And so now we actually are joined with Dave Slyker, who's going to unpack this topic a little bit for us. Thank you for joining us. Yes, of course. So you are the president of IHOPU. Vice president. Vice president, my bad. And you've been here at IHOP for how long? Oh, goodness. It's about 2002, so about 18 years. 18 18 years. years. And you had all your three kids here? Uh, no, we had the girls before we came, and okay. then we had Daniel and Finney after we came. Oh my that's, gosh, awesome. that's awesome. That's awesome. 18 years of living holy. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Hopefully, hopefully more. Hopefully more. <laughs> since I was 12. So I've only been doing it 18 years. Oh, that's <laughs> a rough awesome. start. And you don't have to be at IHOP to live holy, is that right? Is that a true statement? <laughs> a billion believers, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. A few others are doing it too. Well, I'm excited that you are having this conversation with us, Dave, because um, you know, I when I first started uh, working with IHOPU, because I'm you know helping now with the music school, but I started out helping you with the ministry school side of things, and because I wanted to understand how the school worked, I remember I asked you, "Would you let me be your TA on Sermon on the Mount?" And I was more thinking, I'm going to learn the systems behind it or whatever. And and then I heard so much teaching on Sermon on the Mount about the 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 why behind the why behind the why of holiness you know like it wasn't just this is why you do it but there was a layers deep in terms of what holiness is and how one is holy how one is made holy and there was just so much revelation there that i thought you know as we discuss this here who better than dave Slyker himself talking about it through the sermon on the mount lens and of course everything else that you've been teaching here uh, related to the grace message you know you teach foundations of grace here as well and those kinds of things so i'm excited book of romans yeah book of romans which yeah. is really kind of the express the ultimate expression of that of, of what paul was saying right in, in the book of romans but i want to start with a basic question you know because holiness often is seen as adherence to laws you know in terms of at least what what is understood from in a public setting you know people kind of connected to like well you're holy if you're doing things right and i i remember you talking about this and nuancing it much better can you kind of explain why that that's the why that's the perception and then what we should really be seeing it as yeah i think um it's always good to start a conversation on holiness by first defining it, of course. Yeah. Otherwise, if holiness is a thing that we do in order to serve God, then we're we are we're a little dead in the water. Yeah. But um, but our like anything else, the conversation on holiness begins with God. We, we care about holiness because it's one of His self-defining traits. He says, "I am holy." It's who He is. Mm-hmm. And so it's not. It's not the totality of who he is, but it's one of his defining characteristics as he presents himself to man. Yeah. And so that he is holy is the first point of understanding the subject. But then the second point of understanding is, I am holy and I want to be with you. I mean, that's the, that he's a relational God. And that relationship, it has a couple dimensions to it. It's a relationship that right now is is about the uniting of our spirit and his 
which uh, which of course is that holiness gift of holiness that's given to us, the gift of the the free gift of righteousness yeah. through the cross, the blood of Jesus. And so we're able to be something on the inside as a work of grace mm-hmm. from him. But again, the point is that we would be that to be with. Yeah. Yeah. And so be that to be with, that we would be able to be joined with him. And that tells us a lot about the subject of holiness just right there. Yeah. And then, of course, when you, when you go all the way back to the Mosaic Covenant, which would be the ultimate kind of covenant of holiness as it relates to proximity. I want to be with you. I want to dwell right. with you. And so when a holy God says, I want to be with you, dwell with you, be united with you, it, it just changes the conversation of holiness. When holiness is thought of relationally, it changes the conversation in terms of what this is all about. Yeah. Because again, we're we're on a journey of love and and Jesus defines love by obedience, but he defines it as obedience as it relates to the subject of holiness, which right. which again is God is something that I am not. Yeah, yeah. But he wants to dwell with me and that which is and that which is not cannot dwell in the same yeah. space. Right. And so for me to dwell with God, I have to be like God. And that's the right. that's the great dilemma of relationship with God. Yeah. Right. Wow. I mean, it makes me think of your summer lecture series that you did, which is pretty heavy hitting related to Ezekiel's temple and the idea of the place needing to be made holy, the location because of his presence and, and just that he made a provision for us to be made holy without effort, you know, like he cleansed us is a, is a massive statement to his, to his grace Mm -hmm. of how he's made us holy. Now we just get to walk in it. Uh, you know, in partnership with who he is. Yeah, but it's it's uh, the thing that we have to remember is that it's limited. Yeah, that that he he invades. You know, I mean, from Genesis to now, just thinking about what you're talking about. Yeah. From Genesis to now, the uh, the great dilemma is from Genesis three forward, when man made his statement of rage and rebellion, we do not want you here. And, and Paul talks about, you know, sin and death enter into the conversation. The moment that sin and death enter into a place where the one who is sinless and deathless resided, somebody's got to go. Right. And what makes God forever, and will forever be tender about this point, when, when two warring sides were in conflict because of the incompatibility of their desires, the incompatibility of their worldview, but even more importantly, the incompatibility of their being at that point. <laughs> when sin and death enter the equation. When that happens, it was God that withdrew. Yeah. The Holy One That's who rightfully could have continued to occupy the space, mm-hmm. though that occupation would have been destructive to us from that point forward, God withdraws. That's huge. I mean, because you think that it's like, no, He leaves, like, uh, he, he, he leaves because He couldn't stay almost almost we we leave it there the sentence ends right there but he could stay actually he owns everything right (laughs) but he didn't because of his nature of being love right he he chose to preserve us and find a way well he already knew the way but uh to allow us to then enter in to being able to dwell with him without Mm -hmm. being seared but when that when that begins to inform your understanding about holiness that that there's a there's a completely pure and righteous being. There's a pristine in beauty being with power who wants to dwell here and is restraining from his dwelling related to where we are in the process. 
then there's a there's an ache and a reach related to holiness because of that union and relationship and desire for more of his presence. And it's not a, a duty bound, you know, what we we're talking about at the beginning, that that obligatory kind of grit my teeth and do it because God right. says I'm supposed to. And so holiness is to not read Harry Potter books. And so I guess I'll miss out. <laughs> you know, it's it's just it becomes that to do list yeah. rather right. than yeah. that ache and that reach for more of God. Um, you know, just I mean, think about the beatitude: "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God." Right. And the pure in heart is not just about the absence of pollutants, which is sometimes how we think about holiness. Pure in heart is about the singularity of desire. It's right. about the. Oh ache. man, that's a one-liner yeah. right there. That is. We should tweet that for sure. <laughs> Wait, the singularity of desire, not the absence of pollutants. Wow. That's powerful. Well, we we want to get rid of the pollutants, yeah. but not just that. When when holiness is love and proximity and presence, when holiness becomes about that reach for more of God, then you're not just trying to abstain from the pollutants, which is right. the holiness movement, you know, of the of the late 1800s when they yeah. were trying to get back to the days of Finney. The holiness movements that emerged in the late 1800s were very um, abstinence-based because of the alcoholism, because of the the uh, things that were happening in the home, mm-hmm. because of the new liberalism. You know, as you as you get into the the Darwinian liberalism at yeah. the turn of the century, there are all these things that were beginning to invade of the world into the church, and so the church's answer was to keep it out, keep yeah. it right. out, keep it out. And so that idea of keep it out and mm-hmm. and keep yourself set apart. That became the kind of in the shorthand. There's a lot more to this, but it's the pervasive idea of holiness at the turn of the 20th century. But uh, but again, the, the you can lose sight of why you keep things out, right? Yeah. Because holiness isn't just the kind of self righteous desire to be unstained by the world. Yeah. Holiness is the removal of everything that hinders love. Yeah. Holiness is the willing and voluntary reach to not just lay aside the the things that we shouldn't do. But even to lay aside the things that we can do, right. that's holiness, Song of Solomon style, that I'm oh. laying aside the things that I am permitted to do even. Right. I want to go farther than what I can't do. Yeah. I actually want to begin to lay aside some of the distractions and some of the things that are hindering because I want more of God. And so that's why yeah. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, because your desires are yeah. being purified right. and your ache is being purified and it's causing you to lay aside all kinds of very pleasurable, yeah. very reasonable things that aren't aren't sinful at all. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's such a good thought because I'm just thinking being on the defensive instead of the offensive just means that you haven't really encountered the true beauty of who God is. Right. Therefore, again, you're just like, no, 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 instead of realizing who he is and what you get. I think that's a... That's right. And then you, be, you begin to say yes to him and not really think about what you're saying no to, right. to have him. And I, I think, man, that is, oh, I grew up in a, in a setting where, where it was all about the don'ts, you know, don't right. do this. I mean, the, the pulpit was constantly being utilized as a, as a rule book, a, a code of, of, of dress for the women, you know, that, that kind of thing, you know? Instead of the the giving me the eyes to see, and I remember being 14, 13, I've seen the power of God at that point. Like I saw healings and miracles, but I didn't know him. So all I knew about him was that he was real because I saw his power. But I also, all I was told to me, to me about him was about the things that he didn't want me to do, all of the th- reasons right. that I didn't fit in or that, oh, my desires are for this. So clearly I'm not on his team. So you know what? I don't like you. And then later on, when I discovered his 
his reach toward me, his desire for me, it changed everything. I think the way that you say it really helps inform what we believe about yeah. God should be should be that he's for us, not like in, in a self-serving kind of way where where it's all about our advancement, but that that he's so enjoyable, so beautiful that that the way we were made is compatible with the way that he is and so that we reach our highest fulfillment and right. potential and 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 seeking him out. Yeah. Because I'm a giant nerd, I'll, I'll stay on. I'll stay on Genesis Yay, for a moment. Please do. No, because it's because it's fun. Because this is actually an end times podcast, so I'm about to say something end timesy. Okay. But um, <laughs> but but it it actually makes it more beautiful as you start to go through Genesis. You know, Genesis three, they make the declaration: We don't want you here. We want this world that you made for us. We want to enjoy it without you. Wow. And so that's the that's the rebellion, even more than an act of sin as we think of it, the, the bigger act of rage and rebellion was, we want you out of here. We do not want wow. you. We are eating from this tree because we want to, we want wisdom and knowledge apart from you. We Gosh. want it on our terms. We want this world on our terms. Mm-hmm. And so what you see shortly after in Genesis is you see this little interesting phrase. It says that men began to call upon the name of the Lord and they would, they would do burnt offerings. They would do that sweet aroma, right? Right. What that was, was a form of repentance from the rebellion. Because what they're saying with the burnt offering and why it was a sweet aroma to the Lord, he calls it a sweet aroma because it's the declaration of man. We actually want you here. We're sorry. We actually oh, want you here. On. We want you with us. Yeah. We, want, we want your presence. We, we, we don't just want the theology of you on our minds right. and we don't just want the feeling of you on our hearts. We're, 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 we're going to do something costly. We're going to deny ourselves, you know, thinking about fasting last week. We're going to deny ourselves food. This is in in the most literal way possible. We're going to burn this rather than eat it because we want the aroma to declare to everyone, we want you here. We want you with us. And so you see that in Genesis. And and of course, the crazy thing is Genesis 6. So when you start to have men on the earth and women that are doing these burnt offerings across the across the known world at that time they're making their declaration we want god back on the earth again we want his presence with us but in genesis 6 there's a second group and the second group is saying no we're still on the genesis 3 train right we still don't want god here and so they start systematically eliminating the families that want god here yeah they start they start working to wipe them out yeah. to the point where there's only one family left on the earth that it's wants crazy. God here. Wow. Crazy. Think about that. Yeah. When we think about flood and judgment, we have to think about it not just as the as an act of an angry God, but it's the act of a God who is angry at the idea with pain in his heart. Because he says this weird phrase in Genesis six, I regret that I made man in my own image. Which it's a way of saying, ah, I hate that it's come to this. Right. I hate that I have to, I don't like that I have to do what I have to do next. But if I don't, there are no families left that want right. me here. The seed of That's redemption worse. ends. That is much worse. And so he cleanses the earth by flood. And so when Peter talks about holiness later in Second Peter 3, he's going to cleanse by fire. Yeah. He's referring back to, you know, in part to this moment where God is taking a necessary action of preservation to preserve the families on the earth that want him here and to protect them from the families that don't and are willing to go to any lengths. Just fun side note. Oh, that That's a a pretty good side note (laughs) that we can expound on. (laughs) But here's the side note, side note. Here's where I'm going. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 
as in the days of Noah. I know. So I shall was, it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. I was about to say that. The, as in the <laughs> days of Noah. Now, we know from Scripture that in the time before the Lord returns, that there will be a great harvest, but we also know there's a great falling away, right? And so, so I was going to connect it because I feel like what you're saying is like, it seems as if, as in the days of Noah, there are few who are calling upon him, right? Mm-hmm. That, 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 I, that imagery. Um, but as also the, the, the time where something unprecedented is happening and no one is believing those that have been commissioned to share the message of, hey, he's coming right. with wrath, he's coming, and, and uh, that no one believes the messengers, but they still, you know, if they endure and they stay faithful, they'll escape the flood. Yeah, and I don't even think of it that, I don't think it's going to go down quite that way. I think it's going to come down, I think you can boil it down to the simplicity of this. There is a group in the latter days, a large group yes. that are living holy, not because of duty-bound, re- religiously shame-based, religion's not so bad, but it's the shame-based motivation of performance. That's not what's going on in the latter days. In the latter days, you can see again, there's a, there's a remnant of faith on the earth that wants God here, yeah. that wants God here. And if Joel 2 is, is right, and Revelation 6... You have this group on the earth that is inviting the presence of God to the earth, and they're living holy to right. engage with that presence. I got the, I've got my Bible open to the Hebrews 12 phrase, partakers of his holiness. There's this remnant of faith that are reaching for him in a costly way to be partakers of his holiness, which means, which, which means in the Genesis 3 to 6 sense, the invitation of his presence, yeah. his holy presence invading the earth. And Joel 2 tells us that holy presence through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a global expression of that in a profound way, but that's going to ignite the other group that, that the holiness thing, it's not that the holiness is offensive, it's the presence that accompanies holiness. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they don't want that presence. They don't want God here. Yeah. And the conflict, Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, the end time conflict really comes down to the simplicity of that. One right. group wants the presence of God and the power of God invading the earth, and the other group really does not. Yeah. And when God makes himself known, it's more clear. Like, yeah, we were clear thousands of years ago. Right. We don't want that. Yeah. We want our wow. own way, our own way forward. Yeah, and I mean, we even see that at the end of the millennial kingdom, don't we? Jesus has set up his rule and reign. He's king for a thousand years on earth, and then people are still like, we don't want you. And somehow it just blows my mind they see how good he is how righteous he is and still they turn away it's like what wow crazy a little bit of stimulus just makes them go off the deep end yeah Yeah, the the beauty of holiness has two reactions to it the beauty of holiness captures or the beauty of holiness repels yeah yeah and i think that you know as we see in scripture as we come towards the, the the coming of the lord as we draw nearer to that day it seems like there's greater polarization, meaning less gray, more black and white. And I think that's what you're referring to. It's either repelling or either it's captivating, right? And so, well, let's move a little bit further into this because the issue of grace has often been connected to holiness, right? Yes. And so can you, I mean, you know, I remember I grew up in it. There was this massive emphasis, as you were touching on, uh, related to holiness, but holiness based off of your shame, your guilt that you can't amount and you got to keep striving. Or Or half the message. Or half, the, you know, the holiness movements of the late 1800s and the early 1900s being half the message of there's a growing cultural impact and a growing cultural kind of kind of decline, a degradation 
we want to keep that out of the church. We want to keep that out of our families, and we want to keep that out of our homes. So it's a reaction to the increase of darkness in the world. Yeah. But then, but then we saw this in the past 20 years, like blow up in, in, in terms of uh, it had just a ton of attention, particularly in America. But the issue, uh, well, that Michael Brown calls hyper grace or, you know, slimy grace. I don't There's so many different, but it's just this misappropriation of the grace that God gives us. Can you touch on how we got there yeah. and where we should land? Yeah. Or what it even is. Yeah, it, it's a it is, it's a distortion of grace as an overreaction to what we've been talking about the non relational holiness movement. And yeah. it's not nobody was meaning to be non relational, but at a certain point, not dancing and not drinking became more critical to your Christian faith than praying than doing. You know, yeah. discipling, right. praying, and and so um, and so the things that you do not do and the things you abstain from become the point. And it's a very right. non relational. Religi- religiosity to, to mm-hmm. say it like that. Yeah. And so the overreaction to that then would, would be to say, you know, cause again, if you're doing these things, you said it so well, when you're a kid, you're like, well, I guess I'm not, I want to do those things. So I guess I'm not in the club. Yeah. And so those feelings of rejection, I don't, I don't fit in with this construct, those feelings of sincere wanting to follow God, but if, but I have to do all those things and I, yeah. I'm not good at that. And so the feelings of failure, the feelings of shame, all that a, distorted holiness movement produces, the overreaction becomes a distorted grace movement. And, uh-huh. and that overreaction and distorted grace would be um, the, the, the way in which you end up not having to ask God for forgiveness, not having right. to repent for sin, because repentance and asking for forgiveness in and of themselves become religious works or a form of striving. They're a form of doing, and grace tells me I don't need to do. I just need to be. I just need to receive what God gave me and enjoy. There's no doing on my end. God does it all. I don't have to do. I can just be. I am a new yeah. creation. You know, that there's an overdoing of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the, the new creation and what that yeah. means. Right. There's, a, there's, a, there's an overdoing of the idea of the removal of the sin nature. And God doesn't even relate to me that way anymore. I, I'm not a sinner before him. I don't have to even acknowledge it. I, I am, I've been made perfect and I, I've been perfected. You know, just, just talking to different guys over the years, they would say things like, I, I'm, it's like I'm in my resurrected body now wow. in terms of how holy I am before the Lord. And wow. they would say things like, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, you don't even have to listen to it. It's a, it's a series of irrelevant works that don't apply wow. to the New Testament church. Gosh. Wow. And so there's... there's that's staggering. Yeah, but that's, that's the, the, the initial distortion of grace and what it's for and how it works. Right. right then leads to the application of that distortion in a logical way. And so it's... And w- which is, you know, the basically you give in to the propensity of your heart and then you justify it through, well, he takes me like I am, so he's not going to care about this. In fact, he loves me. Not he, just, accept, he accepts me, yeah. yeah there which, you go. He, which he does, but, but the way that's defined in terms of your ongoing behaviors and what's required of you right. means that it, it's, an, it's, an, it's not an acceptance that empowers me to be transformed. Right. It's an acceptance that enables me to not have to do anything. Right. 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 And we all know this phrase, but God loves me so much just the way I am, but he loves me too much to leave me the way I am. And so forever... Until you die, he's going to be progressing your holiness and righteousness yeah. if well, you're committed to him and to his ways. I mean, let's go back to the cross. It is outrageous. 
Yeah. It's outright. When I think about the cross, I think about how outrageous it is that he, he is the man that could have stopped every blow and every right. lash. He is the man that could have called down legions of angels. I mean, he could have just, he really could have prophesied. Every time somebody struck him, he could have, he could have answered their mocking and just called out the deepest, darkest sins of the dude that just hit him, yeah. and not one more <laughs> blow would have happened. He could have done the Elisha thing. He could have just sh- opened their eyes to show them the legion of angels around the place, and they would have been terrified. Some of them would have passed out from terror. Yeah. I mean, I mean, think of—he is a man for whom every blow received was a blow he chose to receive. <laughs> That's so good. Because when we think when we think about ourselves being persecuted for the faith, the scenario in our minds is our powerlessness, and we forget that he was not powerless for one moment. In all of the scourging and the beating that he took, he wasn't powerless. And so each blow received is a blow of love and affection for the one that is that is striking him wow. and the crowd that's cheering it on. I mean, think about that. As he is six hours on a cross and the crowd that's gathered, the, the, these are people and faces that had followed his ministry for years that had turned on him, and he knew they would, because that's what John's telling us. Yeah. When it says that, that uh, they wanted to enthrone him as king early on, but he would not give himself to them right. because he yeah. knew it was in their hearts. He knew that they, they loved darkness. The light had come, but men loved darkness because their deeds were evil. And so he knew where this was going. The more he displayed the truth of who he was, the more they were going to turn on him. So he knows that. Yeah. And so when we think about acceptance, we don't think about the depths of, of that acceptance, the willingness of what he endured mm-hmm. from beginning to end of his earthly journey right. related to the acceptance, the love, the, the commitment, the loyalty, the faithfulness to those that he knew would betray them. Yeah. But even, in, you know, I think about, you know, again, think about the cross. Because again, it's the cross that brings holiness to bear mm-hmm. because it's, it's, the, it's the issue of the cost of our sin and and this is where distorted grace and true yeah. grace come together yeah. is the cross. Yeah. Because we so quickly forget about what he's enduring for love, but the kind of love that brings us into what he's like in our character, yeah. what he's like in, in the way that we love, what he's like in terms of our interior, soon to be exterior holiness and the transformation of that. that and so the costliness of it all, it's like... It's like when distorted grace goes to the cross, all they think about is how it acquits them right. and how it relieves them from, from having to do yeah. rather than seeing what he's enduring on the cross. Again, just think about it. Just go there with me. Here he is. He's, he's nailed. Hands, hands are nailed. Feet are nailed together. And of course, when you do that, the whole weight of your body collapses in on itself oh. and you can't breathe apart from lifting yourself up to breathe. And so, and so for hours and hours on a cross, he's using the last of his remaining strength to breathe and have conversations. Yeah. He, he has a few key conversations. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And again, as you, as you look at it, your heart melts and you want to be like this. This is the point. If you look at Jesus on the cross, you see him and your heart aches to be like that. Right. If you have, you know, that's what grace is for. Grace is to see the man without without human sentiment and without human pity and without the kind of manipulative ways that sometimes people preach the cross to try to get you to cry. It's about getting all that out of the way for the grace to see the man. And when there's grace from the Holy Spirit to see that man on the cross, there's grace to ache to be like that man on the cross. 
And so, so you're looking at a man who lifts himself up to turn to the convicted thieves on either side and in our context, share the gospel with them. To, to, to invite them into <laughs> being with him forever. Yeah. He uses some of his last breaths to do that. And then hours later when he's much weaker and it's much more difficult to pull himself up, he pulls himself up to breathe a prayer for all of the enemies that have turned on him. <laughs> Father, forgive them. No, when he says in the Sermon on the Mount to pray for, to bless your enemies, wow. yeah. this is the ultimate expression for all time Gosh. of him doing that. And so grace, in the true biblical sense, as it relates to holiness, acknowledges that the Holy One of Israel did that with his dying breaths. I would not do that. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. again, rather than seeing it sentimentally, or rather than seeing it, Art Katz used a great word, he called it schmaltzy, you know, <laughs> rather than seeing it through some kind of sentimental pity-based lens, I'm realizing those guys strike me. And these aren't just dudes. These are trained warriors. These are Ro- these are Roman centurions. These are these are yeah. some of these are men trained for war. These are trained killers that are punching him in the face. They know how to make it hurt. And he has he has far more power than they have. He has he has all the power of heaven and earth at his disposal to call down. He is the restrained man of meekness, restrained by love, refusing to use his power to stop what is happening, but using his power instead to allow what is happening to happen for the sake of the redemption of man in the world and for the sake of love. And when we put ourselves, when we let grace give us eyes to see what's happening, we realize, I would not do that. Blow one, I'm calling down fire. (laughs) Blow one, I'm not restraining my strength. I am the, I am the, I am the unrestrained man in self-preservation he is the restrained man because of his unrestrained love. And when I see the gap, I don't think, thank you for letting me off the hook from being like that. <laughs> right. When I see the gap, so I think, give me the grace, the power to yeah. be like that. Yeah. I don't want yeah. the grace to not have to be. Mm-hmm. I want the grace to love like that. Yeah. Right. I want the grace to be restrained like that. I want the grace, I want the power available to me by the Holy Spirit to have a heart like he has, yeah. right. where I really am aching for my enemies to be spared in mercy because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I don't even think that way. Oh, yeah. no. And so it, it, it is the, the understanding of the cross where wrath and holiness and, and love and mercy and justice all come together in the man Jesus and what he endured. But again, he's enduring that as a man, right. which is the picture of what is possible for the human race by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we want to go there as well. Wow. Yes. So, so if more on a practical question. So if you're kind of caught up with this hyper grace or the extreme legalism, how do you find the middle where it's the grace of God and the abiding by his law? You know, I mean, it can feel sometimes like there's a a pendulum swing in the conversation, and how do you stay right in the middle of that stream? I, uh, again, going back to the Hebrews 12 phrase, I love it. I want to be a partaker of holiness. Yeah. And a partaker of holiness in the charismatic world is to experience his presence. Mm -hmm. But I want more than his presence. I want his character. I want to be conformed to the character of Christ on the inside. I I want to think like that. I I want the mind of Christ. Right. I want the character of Christ. I want the presence of Christ. I want more revelation of the person of Christ. In other words, the, the more Jesus-focused and Jesus-obsessed we are, the more the subject of holiness expands. Right. 
And so, gosh, I'm so lost in what I'm saying right now. I forgot your question. For real, I, I never do that, but I lost your question. No, how do, you, how do you find the right oh, the balance, balance between, between the, the grace and the I reason. really started going, and I went, oh, this is so good. I love Jesus. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, a good reason. Uh, to, we're all, we're <laughs> all loopy right now. So. No, and so, again, when it's relational, when, yeah. it's, when, it's, when it's the reach of love because you've been captured by who he is, you're not thinking, because, again, legalism is non-relational performance. Right. It's it's non-relational performance to prove that that uh, that you're in the gang. You know, it's yeah. like so. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Let's not do legalism. I'm going to bring you into the family so that you don't have to prove that you belong. Yeah. I'm going to accept you. Your point earlier. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to adopt you. You're going to be a legal member of the family so that you can stop trying to join my family. Yeah. <laughs> right. Stop trying to perform your way into this family. I'm going to bring you in, and that's where the distorted grace guys are trying to go heavy, like, no, they're trying to perform. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I actually agree on that point. Jesus brings us into the family. He, he gives us, you know, I, I use the analogy all the time. He gives us the, where it's the first day of class. He gives us the final exam. We're all stressed out. <laughs> We're like, what is this about? And he goes, yeah, this is your actual final. It's the actual grade that's going to get you in. <laughs> and if you fail this, you're out. I mean, you're, you're headed right. for the lake of fire. And I mean, that's, that is a pressure-packed final yeah. exam. It's like Seriously. eternity with Jesus or lake of fire. It's right there. What are you going to do? <laughs> but you're th- but you're going, oh, Lord. This is the first day of class. I don't I don't know anything about right. anything. And he smiles, and you're kind of annoyed. Like, why are you smiling at me? Yeah. He's no, look 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 at the exam. And you look down, and every answer is filled in perfectly. Oh wow! Every answer is filled in, and you're looking at him, going, and he goes, no no, look again. It's even better. And you look at the top. And it's your name and his handwriting at the top and a perfect score. And, and you're going that. Now you're actually almost annoyed in the other sense. The legalist within us goes, no, this is a, this is a final grade that I have not earned. Because <laughs> yeah, but I, I took the test for you. That's your real grade. That's your actual grade. At the judgment seat, that's the grade you get. Wow. And we're going, that, I don't, I don't. Yeah, in terms of lake of fire or eternity with me, settled issue. Free gift of righteousness, indwelling Holy Spirit, that's your final score. Wow. And so we're going, I'm so confused. He goes, well, here's what we're going to do. Now that you're, the final score is out of the way, and now that you know how the judgment seat conversation is going to go, mm-hmm. now we can relationally spend the rest of your life teaching you the material wow. of this test. You're going you're gonna to get the score up front, but it's going to change how you learn the material. Come on. Because now... (laughs) It's a great image. Seriously. Yeah, because now you're not in every class stressing about the lake of fire. Right. You're in every class awestruck with gratitude about your final grade. You love the teacher, and it just changes how you learn. Oh, completely. Flips it upside down. You have this whole year of stressing and trying to make sure you get it right, but instead you can just enjoy the conversation. Like... Right. And ask, ask the questions that matter to you rather than thinking you have to memorize something that doesn't apply right. to your life, you know? Right. But distorted grace says, I don't even have to learn the material. That's messed up. Legalism says, I don't know what my score is. Licentiousness says, it doesn't matter what the material is. Wow. And, and, it's, and it's neither of those things. Right. right. Again, we, we, we do get the free gift of righteousness. And so the distorted grace guys are a little bit right on that one. We do get the free gift of righteousness, and we don't have to earn it. Right. And he, he really did. I mean, the Abrahamic covenant, he really did both parts of the Abrahamic yeah. covenant. He, he gives the Abrahamic covenant and, and keeps it as God, 
but then he walked through the pieces and fulfills it as man. I mean, that's yeah. that that's why they're singing about the Abrahamic covenant at the beginning of the Gospels, <laughs> right. because the man who is going to fulfill the human part of that covenant had come. He's going to take the test for us as a man. He does the Abrahamic covenant as a man. He lives the Mosaic covenant as a man. He goes through the life of David as a man. Yeah. He fulfills all three of the covenants and then enacts the new by by the cross. And so in that sense, we have no complaint about his right. leadership as it relates to bringing us into the story of holiness. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's so powerful. You know, and, and as we, obviously this series, we've been looking at how those that have feel compelled to share the message of the gospel, right? The complete gospel message, how we ought to then live our lives. This makes a lot of sense then because you're, you're agreeing with the person more than you're you're fulfilling a checklist of do's and don'ts, right? It's right. you are saying, no, this one that we preach about, this is what he's like. And so if you really believe it, you'll you'll seek to find him in the secret place and to learn about him in that in that in that steady steady place. And I found that holiness, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit is the one who's the fiery finger of God writing the law in our hearts. Like he's doing it. Mm-hmm. But our the joy of of our participation is that we get to yield, like we don't do the holiness, but we get to submit to it. Right. And and I know that kind of feels like verbal gymnastics, but it's real. Like it's real. Like like we do participate in in the choosing holiness, in the letting go of the things that easily entangle, and all those things. But it's not like therefore we get a better grade. It's more that therefore we get to participate in that joyous occasion of the Holy Spirit writing the law in our hearts, changing our desires, etc. Well, because the, the, the final exam, the, the reason it's not the best, best analogy is because the final exam actually is the wedding. Yeah. The bride has made herself ready. And so the, that which we're making ourselves ready for is to be that equally yoked companion that, that he's longed to give his son. The father longed to give his son from the beginning. That's what this entire drama and story is about. I'm going to find an equally yoked companion for my son that can walk alongside of my son in union and unity, mm-hmm. loving what he loves, hating what he hates. And so it makes holiness not just a daily reach, but it makes it our lifelong dream because there's wow. a wedding coming. That's so good. And I feel like this is a perfect conversation to have in the middle of the 40-day fast that we're partaking in. It really is. It's, we were talking with some friends the other day, and they are like, I just want Jesus. Every Everything needs to be Jesus-focused and, and how it can be so easy to kind of step into that legalism sometimes and forget that I'm in the middle of a conversation with a real man, but just look at the things in front of me practically that I need to do. And so I'm just excited i'm We're so all stirred. in the middle of wanting more <laughs> no we are and you know it's it's like matt candler said it's like there's a bonfire there and we think that it's getting hotter and brighter but really it's because we're getting closer to it yeah and and things like fasting and prayer and having conversations with them in relationship it makes us more aware it's of true. that and so yeah. wow thanks dave wait i'll say one more phrase oh please do. i know the music's playing hashtag <laughs> hashtag boom let's go for it holiness and that bonfire point that matt made that is the big big question of isaiah in it who can dwell in everlasting burnings <laughs> that's the destination of holiness that we can dwell in mm. everlasting burnings that we can burn with the same fire and not be burned Come on. Wow. not be consumed not be consumed Gosh. 
who can stand with the all-consuming fire? Oh, my gosh. But that is our joy, and that is our reach. (laughs) Wow. Well, hey, thanks again, for real. This this is so fun. (laughs) Just talking about the one we burn for. I know. I'm, like, moved and encouraged. It's awesome. It's awesome. I love it. Thank you for joining us. We want to invite you. I know some of you have already seen this, but uh, Dave actually walked us through uh, an on-demand course called End Time Simplified, and so we'll just put that link below. It's it's been very helpful, and and of course he wrote a book on it, and he's writing another book that we'll talk about in another episode. But um, I want to remind you that if you haven't yet gotten a hold of the fasting, the online fasting guide, it's the forty day online fast guide. There's so many resources. I mean, practical so tools, teachings. I mean, stuff that will outlast this forty day yes. fast we're on. But if you want to see have a, an all in one like where you can find all these resources on fasting, I want to point you to that. It's very easy. Just go to IHopKC dot org slash four zero day fast or we'll put the link below so it's easier for you guys yeah but it's if you fasted before or if you've never fasted in your life these are good practical tools and just encouragements for the everyday testing of fasting yeah. so go have a look at it it's really good yeah, that's right. and um, again if you haven't seen the previous podcast you can go find us on apple Podcasts, youtube google Podcasts, anywhere where your outlet is for your podcasts and we look forward to seeing you next friday 2 p.m central time that's right peace <laughs>